0: All right. Well, Welcome uh, again to H2O. It is great to have you here. My name is Brian Wiles. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't got a chance to meet you, uh, we are really excited. I want to give a welcome to H2O Akron, who's joining us via video. It's great to have you here as well. And we are excited to uh, jump into a message today that I think really shares a lot about the heart of our church and who we are. And so as we're jumping into this message today, I want to start off by sharing a story with you Uh, of a guy by the name of Larry Walters. Maybe you've heard that name before. Larry is kind of infamous. Uh, He had this experience that actually went kind of viral. It went public. But I think his experience, it teaches us a little bit about life. If you've heard the story before, you know that Larry uh, lived in California a number of years ago. He was just this typical good old boy type of guy that uh, was a little bit ornery, had some friends uh, that would egg him on to do things that weren't always wise uh, at certain times. And so he was sitting around bored one day. And he decided to go down to this Army-Navy surplus store in his neighborhood just for something to do. And uh, as he went down to the Army-Navy surplus store, he found that they had all these um, weather balloons. that are kind of like hot air balloons, but many versions of hot air balloons. And so he decided he was going to buy 75 of these balloons. And him and his friends had this conversation that just for fun of it, just to be kind of ornery, he would attach a lawn chair to these 70 balloons. And he was going to hover up above his neighborhood. Take some pictures of the neighborhood. This is back before cell phones and everything, and just to be kind of fun and uh, and to do something kind of silly. So him and his friends got together. Uh, Larry straps his lawn chair to these seventy different balloons. They tie it down to the back of his pickup truck so that it didn't get away before he wanted it to. And uh, he thought, I need something to do while I'm hovering around uh, my neighborhood. So he got a six pack of beer. Uh, he got a, this a true story. He got a BB gun because he was going to shoot the the balloons to to try to keep his altitude to the right level, and uh, he took some glasses and he jumped uh, into this chair, and as he jumped into the chair, his friends were like, this is going to be great, you know, typical guys, and they cut him loose, and uh, to no one's surprise in this room right now, instead of going just a couple hundred feet up in the area, Larry shot 2,000 feet up into the sky. And he panicked, of course. He didn't know what to do in that moment. And so instead of, you know, I don't know, trying to figure something out, he did the only thing that he knew how to do during that moment in his life, the only thing he'd really done before. He cracked open his six-pack of beer, and he just starts drinking his beer. I can't do anything else, so I'm just going to start drinking my beer. Well, things got a little bit worse for Larry, actually. The, The balloons kept rising. He panicked. He couldn't use his BB gun at all. He was, like, frozen. And eventually, I don't know if it's from the beer or the altitude, he passes out. no joke. passes out, strapped into uh, this contraption that he built uh, in his lawn chair, and he starts floating. A couple hours later, 200 miles away from Larry was, L- over top of LAX airport, uh, L.A., uh, there's a 737 pilot coming in to land his plane, calls over uh, the, the radio. I see an unidentified flying object, sir. And I say, you know, what are you talking about? And, and, you know, copy, is, is that a real story? The guy says, yes, I'm not joking. I see what appears to be a man sitting on a lawn chair, sitting perfectly still, What should I do? Over, you know. And uh, so they have this series of exchanges. They eventually get a helicopter somehow. I'm surprised they haven't made a movie out of this uh, experience yet. They get a helicopter. They tow him back down to safety. He's still passed out. They revive him and bring him back to life. Okay, just a little side note, you know, for you ladies in the room. Be, you know, be worried if your men are bored because they might come up with something just like that. And so as Larry, after a couple of days, he gets a $4,000 fine. And, of course, the news is, like, you know, interested in him. And he's a pretty colorful guy, but he's also a pretty quiet guy. So uh, a news reporter goes to interview Larry. She asks him three questions. First, she says, Larry, were you scared? He says, yes, with some, you know, descriptors of that as well that we won't say in church. He says, of course, I was very scared. Second question she asks him. Would you do it again? He gives a one-word answer, no, you know, okay, at least he learned. The final question was this, why did you do it, Larry? Why did you do it? And he said a phrase that I think may even resonate with some of us. He said this, he said, I was just tired of sitting around doing nothing. I was just tired of sitting around doing nothing, so he came up with this crazy plan, you know? But as I think about that story, I think there's something that probably resonates with all of us in that last question that Larry answered. Because within every single one of us, there is this desire for purpose. There is this desire for meaning. There is this desire to be part of something bigger than ourselves. We know for sure that we shouldn't just be sitting around doing nothing. We know that there's like more to life than just living life for ourselves. We know that there's more to it. But oftentimes we find ourselves like, Larry, we're not exactly sure what that more to life is. And so we fill it with a bunch of different things that sometimes get us into situations that we're not all that excited about. And one of the beautiful things things about following God. One of the beautiful things about the gospel is that God gives us a mission to be part of. That's why I love following Jesus so much. And so maybe even if you're here and you're going, you know, I'm not even sure if I would say that I'm a follower of Christ. I'm not even sure if I would say that, that I'm a follower of Jesus, but I want to at least check him out. I want you to consider here today that is there a greater calling and a greater purpose that God has given you in your life than just maybe sitting around. And if you're here and you're somebody who's been part of churches or been part of our church, but you resonate with that statement a little bit. You know, you say, yeah, I kind of do feel like that. Maybe you, you resonate with that statement on a spiritual level. Maybe you resonate on that statement with, like, physically, like, there's just nothing for you to do. If that resonates with you a little bit, then I think that this message and the heart and the vision uh, that our church has hopefully will, will strike a chord with you here today because God has given us a mission to be part of a Man, it is beautiful. It is compelling. But oftentimes it causes us to not just sit around, but to be active in what God has called us to do. So I want to look at a passage together today. I want to look at a number of passages. But the the first passage that we're going to look at is going to be kind of the grounding or the centering for our teaching uh, that we're going to spend some time in today. And it's uh, in John chapter 20. Okay, John chapter 20, it actually records the resurrection of Jesus. We talked about it. Uh, We're we're following up right after Easter. And so we talked about John 20 during Easter. uh, But we're going to talk about uh, the, the end of John chapter 20. And I think it's fitting that right after Easter, we would look at this section that happened right after the resurrection. So John chapter 20, verse 19, it says this. It says, On the evening... Of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, not all the disciples had even seen Jesus risen yet. Uh, When the disciples were together, the doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. They were afraid. They were cowering. They were sitting together behind closed doors. It said, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed. For they saw the Lord. And then verse 21. It's kind of the key text that we were going to look at today. Verse 21. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So some of the first words that Jesus says after his resurrection, kind of the centerpiece of our faith is, hey, listen, I'm here, I'm alive, I'm actually God, I've proven it to you by raising from the dead, and I want you to know something. Just as God sent me, just as I left heaven and came down to earth to walk among you, just as God sent me here, I now, now that I've proven that I'm God, am sending you in that same way. Way, in that same form, in that same fashion. Just as the Father sent me, I'm sending. And so that's our big idea together today. The big idea is this, that being a follower of Jesus means being sent by Jesus. The two are inherent, the two are implicit, the two go together. If we want to say that we are following Jesus, if we want to claim the name of Jesus, if we want to call ourselves Christians, then implied in that is that we will be people that are literally sent by Jesus as we go about our lives To bring him glory and make him known. Now, that that phrase or that term, if you grew up in church or you've heard that term before, many of us, when we hear that, we think of like being sent overseas. Many of us, we think of like missionaries going and giving up all that they own and all that they have here and being sent overseas, which is awesome, right? And we support missionaries and we're 100% behind that. But that is not the only way that God sends people. That is just one way that God sends people. In fact, that is one way that, that is probably for a minority of people. People that are following Christ but what that means for us is that every single day no matter where we go as we go God is sending us to be on mission to take his love to take his grace to make, take the the message of the gospel to the places that he has us right now see oftentimes and sadly within the church world we think of being sent as something that only like the super spiritual people do you know, like, oh, that's, that's for pastors or missionaries who God's like almost audibly spoken to and said, go to this certain place and share the gospel. But all throughout the pages of Scripture, the Bible over and over again confirms that being sent is for all of us. For every single one of us. It's not like there's a caste system that the really spiritual people get sent and everybody else just kind of sits and supports those sent people. The reality is all of us are sent as we're following Christ. And it is an amazing thing to figure out how can we leverage our life? How can we leverage every single situation that God has us in? If we're a student on campus, if we work or live in this community, how can we do it in our neighborhoods, in our jobs, in the places that God has us right now? And as we go into everyday normal life, how can we bring God glory? That's how the church grows. That's how the gospel advances. And Jesus shows us the model for that. And so today I want to just talk about three ways that this looks like, three ways that this plies, uh, plays out, three things that it means for us to be sent as individuals, every single one of us, as we're seeking to follow Jesus. And so the first one is this. The first point in your handout, you can pull it up on your handouts. We have it on our H2O app as well. Uh, the first point is this. Being sent means being dependent. Okay, being sent means being dependent and being dependent on God. I want to look at this verse in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, it's a a text that's pretty familiar to some of us who grew up in certain traditions. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They reply, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, Still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus says, okay, that's fine. You know, they're, they're giving these answers. Well, other people say this. Jesus says, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, Jesus replied. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Jesus said, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. See, we have to be fully dependent on God, knowing that the church and the mission is his church And his mission. See, some traditions would look at at this passage and and they would think that Jesus was kind of setting up a certain hierarchy or structure that started with Peter and may even still continue on to this day. Uh, We wouldn't necessarily think that that's what Jesus is doing in this passage. What I think Jesus is doing in this passage is proclaiming the fact that, listen, the authority that exists within the church, and as you go out and as you are sent all across the world and as you are sent right here as you sit, it is mine. And so Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell cannot overcome it. As we hear Jesus talk about the church, he claims it as his own, which in turn means that for us, if we truly want to be on mission with God, if we want to be part of God's mission, if we want to be sent by him, then we have to be dependent on him. Because everything that we do when we're on mission for God, it's not about us, but it's about him. And his claim to rightful ownership. And I don't know about you, but for, for me, that's actually a pretty freeing thought. You know, so many times when we think about telling other people about what God's done in our life, or telling people about the gospel, or telling people about Jesus, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves, don't we? Many of us, in fact, probably just don't even do it at all because we're afraid that we'll mess it up or we're afraid that we'll say something wrong. We're afraid that we'll push people away from God. But as Jesus is sitting here and telling us, listen, it's my mission, it's my church that releases us from this burden that so many of us have that we're afraid that we're going to do something wrong and says, man, it's God's work already anyway. All I have to do is come alongside him. God is drawing people to himself everywhere. As we go about our lives, and all we simply have to do is try to help uncover who those people are and share about what God has done for us. See, dependence on God is essential for us if we truly want to be sent by Him. I have to be honest with you. We like to always try to model authenticity here at HGO because it's, it's one of our, our values. It's something that's important to us. And if I'm just really honest with you, this idea of being dependent on God it is one of my biggest weaknesses as a pastor. And it's one of my biggest weaknesses because I'm the type of person who, who can honestly be pretty self-reliant at times. You know, sometimes I think that, that I have things figured out. Sometimes I think that, that I have the plan already uh, already worked out in my mind. And yet I oftentimes forget that I need to just every time come back to God and say, God, I want to be dependent on you for the decisions that I make as I lead this church for my family, for my kids, for my job. And everything I do, God, I want to be dependent on you. And some people say, well, you know, be, being self, self-reliant, you know, that's not that big of an issue. That's not that big of a problem. It really can be because there's there's pride at the root of that that says deep down God I got this covered I think I got it figured out I don't necessarily need you and so if you're somebody like me that can relate to that I want to encourage you to to do what I oftentimes do pray God would you remind me of how deeply I need you how would I never take things into my own hands, and in my own control, but submit my life daily to you? Say, like, God, I want to be dependent on you. I want you to be the one that directs my steps and makes my plan. It's your mission, God, not mine. It's yours. So if we want to be sent by God, we need to be dependent on him. The second thing is this. We need to be humble. If we want to be sent, being sent, it means being humble. Now, God uses a lot of different forms and fashions to humble us. Those of you who are parents, you know, oftentimes God uses kids to humble you. Those of you who are married, you know, oftentimes God uses your spouse to humble you. Those of you who aren't, you know, will use your roommates or other family members to humble you. I, I had this experience happen just a month ago or so. I talk about my kids all the time. My youngest, Isaac, he's six and uh, Isaac's probably, like, the most in touch spiritually, emotionally out of all of our kids. It's kind of, if you know him, he's, he's just something else. And so uh, we, were, we were sitting there talking one night. And he, somehow a six-year-old asks these deep questions. We're sitting there talking. He looks at me. He's looking at me really closely in the face. Dad, do you like the way that God made you? I said, oh, that's a, wow, <laughs> you're six. <laughs> Whew. Yeah, I do, Isaac. I do like the way God made me. Why? Okay, I'm trying to model healthy self-confidence, self-image. Well, I like the way God made me because I like my personality. I like the way that I look. I just feel like God made me the way he wanted to make me, and so I like that. He says, okay. What about you, buddy? What about you? you? Do you like the way that God made you? He said, yeah, I do. That's good. Why do you like the way that God made you? Because I still have all my hair. (laughs) Okay. I see how it's going to be. Genetics is coming for you too, buddy. All right. You're not that great. I think he's doing a humble brag. (laughs) God uses different experiences to humble us throughout our lives. But I want to look at this verse, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. Don't wait for God to humble you, right? Because that can be a scary place to be. But we can actually humble ourselves when we put ourselves under God's authority. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. That he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And as we think about this reality of being sent, I think one of the most attractive things to people outside the church world is to see somebody who's following Jesus and they're not arrogant and they're not proud and they're not mean, but they're humble and loving and compassionate. Doesn't that speak to people? Doesn't that draw people towards Christ? Even think about the life that Jesus lived, right? I mean, we we talk about his life all the time, and he was so powerful, and he could have done so many things, but look at the life that Jesus lived. He lived it so humbly. As he went about ministering to people, he cared about the people that nobody else cared about. He engaged with people that nobody else cared about. And not only that, think about the size of the crowds that followed him. Jesus could have done miracle after miracle and just kept growing his crowd more and more. But oftentimes, as Jesus' crowds were growing because he was doing miracles, then he would say something to weed people out. Because he wasn't just interested in gathering a bunch of fans. He wanted people that were truly following him. See, Jesus' crowds, they could have been massive, but they weren't. But he grew a massive movement because he actually cared about people. He cared about people. And as we think about being sent out, how can we be humble in our everyday lives? And when we do, we walk in the footsteps of our Savior, and that draws people to him i think about our church we say this phrase a lot but i think it's so true that that our success it's not measured by our seating capacity but it's measured by our sending capacity that we want to to build a movement that's based on the gospel of jesus where things continue to grow and we're able to send people as they stay here and as they go out to take the message of the gospel anywhere and everywhere that they go and so sending means being humble And the final thing is this. final thing is this. Sending means being bold. So we have to be dependent. We have to be humble. But we also have to be bold. Man, we live in a culture that's so gripped by fear so many times, don't we? But not so with us as we're seeking to follow God. John 14. Check out this passage. This is another profound passage that Jesus says that many of us are wrestling with. John 14, it says believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works myself. Jesus is saying, look at all that I've done. If you don't believe my words, look at my actions. And he says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father being there with the disciples in that moment. You're walking around with Jesus. You watch him heal people. And he did amazing things. You watch him literally raise somebody from the dead. You know, if someone had a a theological tough question that they were going to ask him, Jesus, just answer it. Rattle off the answer right there in that moment. Somebody need healed. Jesus could just heal him in that moment. If you're walking with him and, and your dog dies, Jesus could literally like resurrect your dog. If your cat dies, he could help you, you know, dig a hole to bury it in. You know, when you think about... I had to just throw a little quick jab. I'm sorry. Some of you guys got really hurt by that. Don't worry. I think God loves cats too and dogs. You get the point though. Imagine like walking around with Jesus in that moment and Jesus says to you, hey, you're going to do greater things than all these things I've already done. What in the world could have Jesus meant by that? Well, I think it means two things. First, it means this. When Jesus was alive, his work hadn't been completed yet. So he hadn't went to the cross yet. He hadn't resurrected from the dead yet. So Jesus is saying to his disciples who are there in that moment, as I'm sitting here with you, as you tell the gospel, you're going to be able to tell the whole story. As I'm here, I haven't been able to tell the whole story yet because I haven't died and haven't been resurrected yet. So when you get to share the gospel, you get to share the whole picture. Not just the part of it that we're living now, but the whole picture of the gospel. You get to share it in its fullness and realness and depth, and there's power in that. But then secondly, it means the scope of what God is going to do. He says in that last line, you'll do greater things than these because I am going to the Father. See, while Jesus was here, God waited to send the Holy Spirit The third person of the Trinity, as Christians, we believe that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are are three persons united as one individual. And so as God and Jesus is there in person, he says, when I leave, then God's going to send the third person of the Trinity to literally live inside of believers. And in that moment, when God does that, you'll receive power. And you'll be able to live a life. And the way that you can't right now because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Not because of you and how great you are, but because the Holy Spirit, God, will be living inside you. Jesus, a little bit later in John chapter 16, he says, But very truly, I tell you, it's good for you that I'm going away. have to be like, again, what, Jesus? It's good for us that you're going away? You're healing people. You're doing amazing things. He says, it's good for you that I go away because unless I go away, the... The advocate will not come, but if I go, then I will send him to you. The advocate, meaning the third person of the Holy Spirit. And so as Jesus ascends into heaven, shortly after that, God sends his Holy Spirit to come and indwell believers. And now we have a power that those who came before him didn't have. That the, the, those of us who call on the name of Jesus and are actually living for him, we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And that gives us boldness to do things that we can't do on our own strength. In our sin nature, we can't love people. We can't sacrificially love people. In, in our sin nature, we can't speak of who God truly is unless we're empowered by the Spirit. But we are empowered by him. So what's the implications of this mean? It means that every single one of us has a part in God's mission. Every single one of us. You know, it's almost sad sometimes because oftentimes we build churches around a couple really talented individuals. Luckily, that doesn't happen here, okay, because there's not a bunch of really talented individuals, you know, But it's sad when you think about that, that that, that oftentimes we build churches around a couple really talented individuals, but that wasn't Jesus' plan. That wasn't Jesus' plan at all. Jesus' plan was that every single one of us would be sent by him to share about the love and grace of God, that we would all own that mission. Think about this. In Luke chapter 7, I want to close up with this. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus, again, makes a a statement to the people that he's with. He says, the least of these in my kingdom will be greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist, a prophet that predicted Jesus to come. You know, mathematically speaking, there has to be a, a least gifted, a least talented person in every room, right? And so Jesus is sitting there talking to that room, and he says, the least of you, he didn't point anybody out, but the least of you, you will do greater things than John the Baptist. And as you hear that and you think about that, I don't know where you stand. Many of us, we we lack confidence to to share about God, to, to do things for him, to serve him, to point other people towards him. Jesus is talking to you. The least of these in my kingdom will do greater things and can do greater things than even him. You know, at H2O, we're about inviting people to find and follow Jesus together. And it's so important for us that every single person here knows that you have a part in the mission that God has called us to. And so as you go, whether you stay here in Bowling Green and God gives you a place, God gives you a neighborhood, God gives you a family, God gives you a career or a vocation, he wants you to be sent into those places to tell people about Christ. And if you go If you're a student and you're going to be graduating and leaving and going somewhere, God wants to use that as you're being sent out to take the gospel to new and awesome places. God sends us. To be a follower of Jesus means to be sent by Jesus, to leverage our life and point people towards him. So I want to pray. I want to invite the band to come up, and then we're going to worship God together. God, we thank you.